This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Welcome to the Rejuvenated Woman podcast. Each episode, I hope to bring you open, fun, raw, and inspiring conversations that aim to empower you on what it is to be a rejuvenated woman moving into and through your midlife years. Brought to you in partnership with Rejuvenate Pilates, I'm your host, Kathy Carr, holistic nutrition, lifestyle, and movement coach and founder of Kathy Carr Coaching. Grab your favorite bevy, put your feet up, and tune into what I hope will shed some light on topics around your overall health and well being. All right, welcome to the Rejuvenated Podcast Show, and thank you for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Kathy Carr, and today I have an incredibly knowledgeable, passionate, and inspiring woman who is considered one of the leaders in the holistic health and wellness space, Cindy O'Meara. Cindy is a nutritionist, best selling author of Changing Habits, Changing Lives, and From Lab to Table. She's a filmmaker of What's, the Wheat, What's With Wheat international and TEDx speaker. She is the founder of Changing Habits, an organisation dedicated to educating and providing the resources needed to live a life full of vitality through consuming real foods. She is a nutrition guru with over 40 years experience and also has a background in anthropology and chiropractic. Cindy disagrees with low-fat, low-calorie diets As I can say, and I can say, Cindy must be doing something right because she's sitting here in front of me and she is the image of a rejuvenated woman. She maintains a healthy weight. She's glowing. She has a beautiful just aura about her. She's never taken an antibiotic or painkiller in her life. That is just incredible, amazing, and I love that. And I also love that you're a 61-year-old female that is in no pain. Welcome, <laughs> huge welcome, Cindy O'Meara. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's so, such a pleasure to have you on the show. We have a, a, a mutual friend and um, I love your Changing Habits products. I actually have the, um, the green blend, the gelatin which I should have actually said, could you bring some today? Because I'm kind of out, out of oh. that. Um, and all of your products, I absolutely love it. And I absolutely love that you come from a space of ancestral eating because it's something when I work with clients that I really want to get to the root, like where they're from. So before we kind of go into that, can you tell me a little bit and tell our listener a little bit more about who you are, how you came about of doing the things you're doing, how changing habits came about, but a little bit more also on your history, on your family history, because I find that fascinating. I listened um, into your TEDx talk. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ten minutes I had to say it all. (laughs) Um, Which was really, really inspiring, Mm -hmm. really inspiring. Oh, wow. Um, that's a lot of of information in one, because I have lived 61 years, and then – the family before, you know, they had lived a long time. And I, I guess where it all I can start it is maybe talk about my mum and my dad. So my mum is the oldest of 11. She was born in 1937. They started spraying um, arsenic and lead on the corn and wheat fields in the US because she was from Iowa, USA, the next year, so 38. And I've seen my grandma's diary about 
my mum and my mum was a little bit sickly um, in those in that time um, when they started to spray the arsenic and lead. Then my mum's first brother was born, so she had seven brothers, and her first brother was born, and when they circumcised him, they realised that he had a bleeding disorder, and they figured out he had haemophilia. And because in those days they had lots of kids, um, with those seven boys, six of them had haemophilia. So they're all given the diagnosis of haemophilia. They're all checked. Usually it's one in six, but we had one in the seven that was okay, but the six had the haemophilia. So then in 1945, the DDT was being sprayed. My, my grandfather was a, a, a corn farmer, but he was a corn farmer that disagreed with the new narrative of agriculture. He disagreed with the spraying and the fertiliser and the arsenic and the lead for the um, – it was because of a locust plague that they sprayed that. And then, of course, um, DDT was a pesticide. So he disagreed with it all. And in actual fact, with the hemophilia and his disagreement with new agriculture, he – lost his farm but he maintained a two-acre block which fed the family so he was an incredible knowledge of growing food so you have to realize in Iowa six months is frozen ground so you can't grow for six months so in the summer my grandmother and all the girls um, would do the harvesting or probably grandpa did the harvesting but my grandmother would pickle, preserve, ferment everything and it all went into the attic. So I remember being there as a 15-year-old and my grandma would go, will you go down into the attic and will you pick out the pears and the peaches and the nectarine and all of that stuff. So this is, you know, and then of course they were all exposed to all these chemicals and my question is this, is when the arsenic and the lead was sprayed, was there a genetic issue that happened with my grandfather or my grandmother which then allowed this um, new genetic disorder to be in our family. There was no hemophilia in our family before um, my uncle JJ was born. So that was all happening on one side of the world and then on the other side of the world was my father who um, was born in Kaikoura, New Zealand in the most pristine place in the world. His father used to get seaweed from the from the nearby ocean. They lived across from the ocean and he would fertilise his land with that and he grew all the food for that family as well. He was a cobbler. And Dad decided to become a pharmacist. This is back in the 50s. So he did six years of pharmacy and he was noticing that um, older people, because that's all that we'd come in for drugs. There was very few young people that would come in for drugs. Older people that were coming in for drugs, they'd come in for their first medication in their 70s. And by the end of the year, they'd be on lots of medications. And so he started to question the validity of, of what was happening with pharmacy. But one man changed his mind completely, and this was a man he saw in the street that used to come in for Pepto-Bismo, which is for an antacid, you know, it's a pink antacid. And he'd come in, and he, anyway, he met him in the street, and he said, why haven't you been in for your Pepto-Bismo? And he goes, the quack up the road fixed me. <laughs> so my dad asked, who's the quack up the road? You know, And the quack up the road was the local chiropractor. Now, chiropractic had not been going for very long. It was a very new um, health field. So my dad went to see the quack up the road, decided he quite liked what he was learning from this man. His name was Cyril Phelps. And what he ended up doing was he quit pharmacy, started painting like 
house painting with a friend for 10 months to make enough money to fly to America in 1956. Oh. Uh, so on a probably on a plane that went from New Zealand to Fiji to Hawaii to, <laughs> you know, to California to Iowa. And it was in Iowa where the only place you could study chiropractic was. And he learnt the difference between mechanistic healthcare and vitalistic healthcare. So mechanistic healthcare is you have a heart problem, you go to the cardiologist, you have a gut problem, you go to the gastroenterologist, you have something wrong with your mental state, you go to a psychiatrist. So they segment the the body and they see what the symptom is, they give you a drug or they do an operation or give you chemotherapy, whatever it is that they're doing, they'll they'll give you this is mechanism. Mm-hmm. They don't look at the whole body, what's going on in the whole body. They just segment that body. Whereas vitalism said, you have an innate intelligence. Give it the right ingredients, take away interference, and you can be the healthiest specimen that you can possibly be. But you must give it the right ingredients. You must take away interference. And um, you, you know, and what are those ingredients? What were those ingredients? For my father in chiropractic, it was taking away nerve interference. But if you were to do vitalism as a whole, you're looking at sunshine, sleep, contact with each other, connection, um, breath, of course, meditation or downtime, um, food, uh, clean water. You know, all of these things are so important for the innate intelligence of the human body to work at its best. So even when we start to interfere and we're not eating the right things, your body is doing its best to stay into homeostasis. But it can only do that for so long without the right ingredients. And that's why we see autoimmune diseases or heart disease or cancer. This is the body trying to stay in some sort of homeostasis and then it just goes, it can't do it any longer because you're not giving it the ingredients that it needs. So he learned the difference between mechanism and vitalism. So, of course, that's where he met my mum. Um, my um, sister was born in Iowa. And this is my thoughts about my mum and my sister is – that mom was exposed to DDT and arsenic and lead and whatever chemicals they were starting to spray in the in the chemical revolution, which started in you know the 30s. So mom was exposed to all of that, and when she became pregnant, she couldn't eat for the first three months because of morning sickness. Oh, and so all of her fat cells, because DDT is is unlike glyphosate, which is water soluble, it's fat soluble. So the body protects itself by putting all of the chemicals into the fat cells. So my mum would have released those fat cells to survive a pregnancy without f- food. Mm-hmm. So she would have released those fat cells, released the toxins and bathed my sister in probably DDT. I don't know if Austin can land. Who knows? Oh, these is, this, I'm surmising this. So my mum and my sister passed away very young um, from cancer, both of them. My sister from esophageal cancer and my mum from lung cancer. Mum didn't smoke. Um, so she died from lung cancer. Uh, my sister was diagnosed, like my sister was always sick. She was little, like I looked like the older sister. Um, so my sister was very little. She had her tonsils out, her adenoids out. She was on antibiotics because, you know, she was not well. This is when emergency medicine was needed to help her. When that's all mum and dad kind of knew at that time because. You know, if you had a sore throat, you had your tonsils out. That totally, was, I know. And it kind thing. of still happens today, doesn't it? Yeah. 
that sort of scenario, because I know that you were talking also like with the sprays, because the sprays are still being sprayed today and a number of chemicals. Because I remember um, you approaching the councils up here and when I saw that, because I was in Sydney, then I did my diligence and called up the councils there. And I think I know in an area in Sydney where I was living, I had a client and it um, that particular area, I don't want to say it because I don't want to freak anyone out, but it is the highest... Uh, rates of thyroid cancer because of the DDT poisoning back you know, in 19, the 60s and 70s That's in that right. area in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So it's still having an effect today because these children are still getting everything out, aren't they? And because it's fat-soluble, it will stay in, in the human body and be passed on to the next human body. And remember that when um, mum was born, she was born with all of her eggs, um, and then when my sister, you know, we're all born with all the eggs. So any of that exposure is going to be put onto that egg. Whereas sperm is made continuously, whereas an egg is in the, the female from the day she is born. So I always think, you know, when I was pregnant with my Casey, and Casey's had a, a baby Sage, her, I had Casey in me and I had Sage's egg in me as well. That, you know, I like, love that, I, yeah. oh, I just yes. love that. It's just, so she's, and it's the same, you know, with anything that, that, that passes on like that. You don't know what exposures there were. I actually believe that mum cleaned out on my sister and I was born 16 months later. And so I, I thank my sister for taking that whatever that was, away from mum and she being bathed in that, for me to be able to live the best life I could possibly live. Because Lisa could never live the best life that she could live. At 23, she was diagnosed with CREST, which is an um, acronym for five autoimmune disease, calcinosis, Raynaud's phenomena, esophagitis, scleroderma and telangiotia. So it was the esophagitis that eventually killed her because that then caused Barrett's disease, which then caused... The, the tumour. But she had assumed that it was just the esophagitis, was, which was why she was struggling to consume foods. She would spend weekends just eating because it was hard to get the food down. And she just assumed it was the inflammation of the esophagus. But when, um, when she couldn't put water down, um, she was rushed to hospital and they found an eight centimetre tumour. Now, their thing was, let's take the tumour and the esophagus out. We'll leave you a little bit. Um, and so I did a whole bunch of study on it and I just said to her, look, you have a, a, a chance to live to five years but you could die at 14 weeks. There's, it's an array. It depends on, it depends on many things. So the, the narrative was take the tumour out, give chemotherapy um, and that was your chance. There's 14 days to maybe five years at the most. And I, she just said to me, you know what, no extraordinary means. Um, I want to go home. Um, they put a peg in her tummy and she fed herself through the peg and she fed herself only nutritious foods. Like, it was incredible. And you know what? For the year after the diagnosis, she died a year and a month after her diagnosis. But for that year, she went skiing. She still adjusted as a chiropractor. She lived her life to the fullest. She lived alone. She didn't depend on anybody to look after her. And I remember her on the Friday, she says to me, I feel amazing. I reckon I've licked this. Wow. That's how she felt. I feel like I've licked it. And then on the Saturday, we went to a play in Caloundra. It was called The Secret Garden. And um, we went to this play and she fell asleep. And I went, why are you falling asleep? She goes, I don't know. I just, all of a sudden, I just feel like I've been 
just mm. expended. And then the Sunday she started bleeding and Monday she died. Wow. So Friday, that was that last kick that they always talk about. I with was going to say they patients. do. Yeah. Well, I think with anyone reaching towards death, they mm. do have that kind of, yeah, that kind of a new Euphoria. lease. Yeah. Mm. It's like a second wind. I'm really yeah. sorry to hear that. And I, um, when your mother had her, that's the kind of the biggest detoxification process of a woman that we can have a baby, right? Yeah. Or we pass, unfortunately, our toxins onto her. So, but it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be that way. And let's just right. talk so about yeah. this for a minute. So, yes. So if we Please. look ancestrally, mm. so. In the summer, we would eat lots of food because there was lots of food around. We would eat um, fats. We would eat sugars. That that combination together um, and a more calorie would um, increase the amount of fat that you are um, are going to store. And you would store around the five plus kilos in that summertime if it was a good summer. So there'd be that five kilos. That would then signal... Um, the production of leptin. Leptin is only made by fat cells. That leptin would go to the brain. It would say to the brain, hey, we got a bit of storage here. We could have a baby, you know. So that would start that, that cycle in the summer of you becoming pregnant. And then um, winter comes, so you're, you know, you've had the summer, you've gotten into the fall you're, or, spring, or autumn, you're now in winter and you're at about your second trimester, that's when that five kilos of fat that you used, that you had had stored, would be used to not only help you survive, but the baby survive until the spring came. And then the food would come again, you'd have the baby, the summer would be there, and then that whole cycle would continue again. So you'd gain weight in the summer, lose it in the winter, gain weight in the summer, lose it in the winter because of food. But these days, women... Men, we can eat whatever we want 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. We can eat whatever we want. So we do not have that beautiful ebb and flow of a cleanse. Mm. Because that's the way I see it is that a volcano could have spilled. You could have had some heavy metals in the water and drinking that. But the body did this beautiful ebb and flow. So in the summer, when you're gaining that weight again, most of it would be clean weight it wouldn't be 20-year-old weight that you have on you with all these DDTs and everything else in there. So my thing is very much to eat seasonally, um, do that beautiful ebb and flow so that when you are ready to have a baby, that you are clean. Mm. But my mum wouldn't have known this. Nobody knew this stuff. No, no my mum My mum didn't either. She died of Alzheimer's and I think just, again, with all the toxins, the heavy metals, aluminium... And all the medications for psychosis, because you talk about psychosis a little bit as well, don't you? Like with the lack of nutrition. And when you talk about that ebb and flow with the summer and winter, it sounds very much like nature. Mm. That's what it is. <laughs> how, how animals, <laughs> I was going to be a little bit <laughs> sarcastic though, but that's how nature is, you know. Mm. That's animals, you know. Animals don't really, you don't see a lot of disease in animals or... Wild that, animals. Or wild animals. Not of our course, pets. Wild, wild animals. <laughs> well, yeah, and again, our it t- depends bad. on what they're eating or what they're feeding. Mm. Um, so when you say about the foods for summer and going in that ebb and flow, how would you guide a woman... Because we're, our audience is really between 40 and 60 and there are a lot of women having all of these symptoms, many, many symptoms. I'd be curious to find out what that ebb and flow looks like with foods 
And I'm sure you haven't had any kind of menopause experience or symptoms that's doom and gloom because my I feel my job at the moment is to change the narrative around that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So can you talk about that ebb and flow and also, you know, the menopausal symptoms? Yeah. Well, let me take you back to sure. when I went through menopause. Yeah. <laughs> Please. So um, I was probably getting into it around the 50s. Um, I, didn't, I, like, I don't even remember. It just kind of happened and I don't really remember um, too much about it but what did happen between the ages of 50 and 52 is I noticed um, aches and pains starting so I would um, have really bad right hip pain as if I was sitting down like this for a while I would get up and it'd be really painful and I thought oh girlfriend of mine had had a you know a hip um, replacement at 60 maybe that's where I'm heading so I'd have these thoughts I had this low back pain for about 18 months and I, I'm, my husband's a chiropractor and it didn't matter what my structure was like I still had this ache and it wasn't like really painful but it was just an ache so if I'm walking and I would walk a lot so if I was walking for more than two or three kilometers or standing for a long period of time I'd have to crouch down and put my hands around my knees just to stretch it mm. out and tightness in my throat I couldn't grow my hair I was gaining weight um, what else was I going through? They were the main things. And my skin was not as – I would. Ha- it was like in the winter in Queensland, there's no humidity and everything would be cracking up. You know, I just, just hated it. I'd have to be putting moisturisers on and I'd be itchy. I hated to get into a pool because if I'd get out, it'd be really itchy. So these were the things that were happening to me. I was like drying up. That's what I was obviously doing. Um, and then I decided to do the winter of the hunter-gatherer, basically. I thought, you haven't really done that for a while. You know, you, you juice fast and you watch what you eat and you do everything, but let's really get into the winter of the hunter-gatherer. So I cut everything out but small amounts of lean meat because they wouldn't have had much fat on them mm-hmm. and anything that was a green winter vegetable I would, I would eat, anything that was in the winter – foods but not anything that was deep rooted it had to be you know very shallow I ate winter fruits and I cut my calories right down so I had to force the body to use the fat cells in order to get rid of um, that weight that I was gaining and hopefully figure out what food was causing all my issues because I figured it was a food so the first week, so the first week I started it, the first three days, I slept the whole three days. Like my, my girls would find me asleep on the desk like this. Is that because <laughs> of the reduction in calories or fat? I don't know what was happening. I have no <laughs> idea, but it was hilarious. Or I'd, I'd just go like this, i just fall asleep. I fell asleep in a yoga pose. I was with two friends <laughs> And you get, the instructor was saying, and when you're ready. <laughs> How many times? And when you're ready. And I'm in this yoga pose and finally my girlfriend goes, Sydney, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first three days. I think my body was healing. I don't know what it was doing. By day seven, I'm walking with my girlfriend that I always walk with. And she goes, why are you not stretching out every couple of K? And I went, Oh, my back pain's gone. Wow. And then I realised I'd been sitting for some time 
you know, at my desk and I didn't get up in pain. That had gone. My tight throat had gone. I'd lost four and a half kilos in one week, seven days. Now that, you cannot lose that in fat weight, by the way. The, the thing is, is that the body will only take away from you the fat that it requires in order to survive, which for a female who's eating 500 calories will be about 2,000 calories, which, which is around 200 grams. So I should only be able to lose 200 grams of fat, but it takes the body a good two to three to four days to convert from the reserve of fat that you've eaten before and the sugars you've eaten to then start to eat the fat that you've laid down. Mm -hmm. So you have a little, and I think that might have been happening. The body was like going, you're not giving me enough food here. (laughs) I'm going to slow you right down. But then when it kicks in, so that first four and a half kilos would have been water weight. And then what happened is that I would have started to lose the fat weight. And what was um, incredible was I had clarity of mind about day 10, that I hadn't had in a long time. I felt like I, and this is going to sound weird, but I remember ringing one of my friends. I was um, in the country and um, I was down in Victoria in the mountains, which I love. It's just my favourite place. And I rang her up and I just went, I feel like I can see clearly. There's this clarity I've never seen before. I feel like I'm one with the universe. I know this sounds, and she says, are you doing drugs? And I went, No. <laughs> So it was this, it was mind-blowing. That's all I can say. It was mind-blowing. So I, I continued that for three weeks, lost nine kilos. So I'd lost the weight that I'd gained over that two-year period in three weeks. Um, and then I started to introduce those foods back into the diet or, you know, what I would, I would normally eat. And I got to about three weeks after that finish of the three weeks, I was doing amazing, just introducing all the good quality foods back in. And then I was at Woodford. Um, and I had taken my breakfast and my lunch, but I had not had. I thought I'd be home in that time, but Woodford was so good. I didn't want to go home. The music was great. The speakers were great. I didn't want to go home, so I thought, right, I'll eat at Gopals. So the vegetarian type one, which had a lot of grain um, and breads and things like that. And so I thought, I'll just eat there and I'll just have that because I don't trust the meat anywhere else. So <laughs> I did that. The next day, I woke up with a sore back. Mm. sore hip, foggy brain, and a kilo of weight. So remember, you you can't even put that weight on. That's water weight. That is inflammation. And I went, oh, what did I eat? And I figured out it was wheat, grain basically, but wheat. Um, And I did a two-year research on it, then did the documentary What's With Wheat, which you, you mentioned. But I want to take it a little bit further. So I had gotten rid of every symptom I'd ever had. But the one symptom that I had at the beginning of every period was a migraine. It would come on. I knew my period was coming because it would come on. I never drank coffee. I I never drank coffee. And I was told it's vasoconstriction, this migraine, and you need a vasodilator. And I knew caffeine was a vasodilator. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just drink coffee one day of a month, I would have that cup of coffee and it was enough to dilate the blood vessels so I didn't need to... I guess that was my drug, you know, really. It was a drug. And that stopped the migraine. Every time. But if I didn't nip it in the bud in time, um, that migraine would fully express itself and I would be in bed. I couldn't handle light. I couldn't handle sound. Um, I was, it was horrible. It was just horrible. So I would, you know, I'd feel it coming on and I'd go find coffee somewhere. 
Um, so that was the one symptom that never disappeared because I was still having my cycle at this stage. I was probably about 52 by now and I was still having my cycle. And I thought, okay, I, I got to... I think I've got to get rid of more toxic fat cells because I figured it had to be – because you've got to realise your fat cell is an endocrine organ, basically. And um, it produces about 20 hormones. And the master hormone, leptin, is in that. So I'm thinking it's got to have something to do with that. I didn't know. I just thought it's got to have something to do with that. So two years after I did the first one, I decided to push myself from 60 kilos down further get rid of any fat that may have been sitting there for the last 20 years because that's when the migraine started that may have toxicity in it so I did the same protocol again for two weeks 500 calories just doing the hunter gatherer winter foods um didn't lose a weight didn't lose any weight no inflammation no nothing didn't lose anything and I'm thinking how can that be I wasn't hungry I was happy everything was fine how can I not be losing weight? How am I surviving? And then the third week happened and I got a massive migraine. And in one day, I mobilized nearly three kilos of weight. And I just think the body said, I can't hold on to this toxicity any longer. I cannot hold on to this fat any longer. I've got to release it because she's not going to survive if I don't release it. So I had five days of migraines where two days were in bed, but the th- the next three days I could handle it. Because mm. they're not fun at oh, no, no, all. No, they're not nice at all. So I had two days really sick and then three days nothing. Now, this wasn't my cycle. This was not in my cycle. This just happened during the clean-out. Do you know I've never had a headache or a migraine since that day? Wow. Not one. You did it. <laughs> I did it. You released the toxicity. I released the toxicity that was causing that issue in my hormones. And so from then on, I cruised through menopause. I didn't, I didn't have any problems. I, I, if I ever I had a hot flash, because they would talk about these hot flashes, if I ever had one, um, it would be very minor and it would last for a second or two seconds. And I go, oof, that feels a bit hot. <laughs> and then I'd be over it and I'd be on to it. Right. And what do you think that – is that like a, a quick stress response, do you think, the reason why – or it's just, again, the body's just filtering or Maybe. trying to do the thing with yeah. the toxins moving around because, you know, you've had a little bit. I have every now and then – when I feel that I have a hot flush, it's usually if I'm having a stressful thought or stressful oh. situation – that the body's just trying, or well, it's kind of into that sympathetic response. Um, but I know there's women that suffer, suffer mm. a lot. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the foods, the best foods? Because you know, food is our medicine. When you talk to when you talk about 500 calories, that's not much, really, is it? Mm-mm. It really, it would it not deplete your blood sugars and the effect to think like when you were kind of crashing, or you just had to go through that. Just, it was just three days and my thought is, yes, I was probably crashing everything and my fat wasn't being mobilised in my body to feed me. Mm. So what happens in the winter of the hunter-gatherer is the fat that you put on in the summer feeds you in the winter um, at 200 calories a day. So the longest fast ever on the, on, that has ever been recorded was 13 months. So he was – I wish I knew the exact figures. Um, I've written about him. He was um, – 200 and something, let's say 250 kilos or whatever. He was pretty big. And he decided to do a fast. He just decided, I'm not living like this anymore. He was in his 30s. I'm not going to live like this anymore. You can look it up online. You can read the science behind it. And 
so he was monitored by a group of scientists and he lost 330 grams a day, um, consistently like he might have lost a lot in the beginning and then it slowed down but if they did it over that 13 months he lost 330 grams a day um on a water fast so that's 330 calories 3300 calories approximately like give or take a whatever it is that he was living on every day and you've got to remember that fat cells have got all of those beautiful fat-soluble vitamins in them. They've got hormones. They've got – it's stored there for your survival if you've got no food. So he had – and he probably had toxins in there as well. But what they did do is that they did give him electrolytes. Mm. So they monitored his blood and they did, did give him electrolytes. But he mainly drank water and tea. That was – that was what he did for 13 months. And he got down to 90-something kilos. If you work it out, you can work out the 13 months, multiply by 330 grams, you'll know exactly what he lost. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, he probably would have been really – it would have been hard for him in the beginning. But as his body realised that this is his fat storage, this is what you're going to be living on, this is what I can give you. And then he was monitored by the doctors and the researchers to give him the electrolytes that he needed. And no doubt there were some vitamins, some water-based vitamins. I don't know. I don't know exactly how he did it. I don't know how his microbiome survived. I, I don't have any answers to that, but I fa- find he it fascinating. It, yeah. He did it. It'd be interesting if a woman could do the same, do you think? Mm. It's a human body, but we're just made so differently. It'd be interesting if a woman would be able to do the same. Are you tired, exhausted, have no energy? Do you struggle with sleep? hot flushes, night sweats? Do you have inflammation, weight gain, aches and pains or muscle soreness or joint stiffness? Do you get brain fog, mood swings, anxiety, sadness or even depression? Have you lost your motivation, your sense of self, your libido, maybe other symptoms that are common but not normal as a woman in midlife? The How to Get Your Mojo Back for Women in Midlife Six Steps to Creating a Confident, Strong, Vibrant and Healthy Female Body will give you the foundations you need to live a happy, healthy life as a woman in midlife. Check the show notes on where to inquire or register for the Mojo in Midlife program today. I don't know because it wasn't a woman. It was no, a man yeah, that did it, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I don't know. One woman wants to try and do that, you know, that is who wants to, you know, we could do an experiment, but that would be up to her, you know, to figure it out. But if if you if you live by the rules of anthropological principles, and so when, um, when I was 19, I wanted to go skiing. That's all I wanted to do was ski. But Another I, thing we have in common, I wanted to ski the world. <laughs> I was just ski the world and have a good time. Yeah, totally. That's what it's about. <laughs> well, I, and I couldn't go to university and ski at the same time. So I found a place in the world that I could go to uni and be 20 minutes from the, the ski resort. And that was Boulder, Colorado. So in 1980, I moved to Boulder, Colorado and started at the University of Colorado and did pre-med because I knew I wanted to do health or sciences or whatever it was. I don't know what I wanted to do, but in America, they do um, what they call pre-med for four years and then from there you go off and do medicine if that's what you want to do or um, research or whatever it is that you want to go and do chiropractic that's what you go and do so I went and did pre-med and we were allowed electives and I did 
the study of stars. I was absolutely loved nebulas and constellations and the history of the Big Bang Theory. I love that. So I did that. But I also did anthropology and cultural anthropology. And it was – I had the most incredible lecturer, um, Professor Van Gerven, and um, I just got so much out of him and learnt so much about what we did to survive, and it was food. Mm -hmm. Food was our survival. I didn't back then think about, well, we're outside, so we had sunshine, we had clean water, we, you know, I didn't know about breath work then I didn't realize the ancient art of breath work I knew none of that stuff I just realized that food was our survival and tools so I I rang my mom I'll never forget I rang my mom and I said I want to be a dietitian I can't afford to do it in America I haven't got enough money because there was nothing you know I had to pay to go to America and by the way back then it was five thousand dollars a year so it was cheap if you think about it but I wanted to go to free school, which mm. was back home in Australia. So I said, I want to become a dietitian. I want to do food. So I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Uh, from the University of Colorado in Boulder, I went to Deakin University in Warm Ponds, Geelong, and um, finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition. And then um, at the end of it, thought, oh, this is BS. This has nothing to do with anthropological principles. I was learning margarine was better than butter. Um, so there was nothing about hunter-gatherers and herders and um, agricultural life. There was nothing about that. It was just low-fat because it was the beginning of the dietary guidelines. 1980 was the beginning of the dietary guidelines. Low-fat, low, um, all these ultra-processed foods were coming in. Um, the body You can't get it from food. You've got to supplement um, uh, breakfast cereals, um, modified milks, um, pasteurization, homogenization, you know. So I'm thinking, I can't teach this. So I finished my Bachelor of Science, majoring in nutrition, did not go and do my diploma of dietetics, went back to university to do chiropractic, did two years of chiropractic, which was human anatomy, pathology, histology, embryology, parasitology, embryology you can think of. And at the end of that six-year stint at university, I went, I know exactly what the body needs. It, it needs what I learnt first year university at the University of Colorado. And so I, I you know, I, I, I started, you know, just um, practising as a nutritionist in Melbourne and seeing phenomenal results, absolutely phenomenal results. Um, with people who were older than me, you know, in this, I remember this one man came to me in his 70s and um, I'm 24, you know, 24-year-old trying to tell a 70-year-old what to do. He's a farmer from um, Shepparton. His name is Mr Rutherford and he sits like this the whole time. (laughs) Arms crossed, legs crossed, looking down at me while I tell him the principles of natural eating. (laughs) And he leaves doesn't say a word, just leaves. About a week later, he calls me. He says, Miss Lovett, um, because that was my maiden name, Miss Lovett, I need to come and see you again. I went, oh, all right, Mr. Rutherford. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to tell me off, you know. (laughs) And he comes and he he sits down. He says, I have a story to tell you. He said, I'm a a pear farmer. I have the best pear farm. I have the best pears in the district of Shepparton. He said, five years ago, all this chemical farming, it was doing the worst thing to my pears. They tasted bad. I'd lose crops. I was spending money on chemicals. I was doing all of this, you know. And he, he said, five years ago, I decided to go back to my old ways, back to old farming. You know, so this is a man in his 70s. He's now 75, you know, five years he's, he's been doing this. 
And he said, what a fool I've been. I should have done it to myself too. Yeah. So he followed everything I said. He came in with a numb leg. Um, his daughter had sent him to me because she'd been to me. And all of that got fixed. All of it. Like, I don't know what fixed that numb leg. I have no idea. I just gave him the ingredients that he needed in order to be the best he could be. Um, so I don't know why I started down that track. You asked me a question and then I went into anthropology. So everything, um, everything for me goes back to, well, what would it have been like? And vitalism. So in the Nutrition Academy, which is my education arm of changing habits, where I have a 12-month course, that's the first two things they learn. They learn anthropological principles and the principles of vitalism. That's their first two modules and they're all assessed. It's all assessment-based. So it's um, it teaches them a new way of thinking. So I had a question from one of my students and this will give your audience a Uh, an understanding of why I always go back to those principles. And it's about liposomal supplements. She said, I keep seeing nutritionists and naturopaths doing liposomal supplements. And I I just, I thought it was just a gimmick. I didn't really look into them. So I said, all right, well, I'll have a look into them. And so I go to patents. It's the first thing I do is I go to patents. I want to see how they're making the liposomal, like it's it's like a, a ball, I don't know if anybody knows what liposomal means, but it, it's a ball and it's a phospholipid, a fat ball, and in the middle it's empty. And so they can put vitamin C, they can put medications, they can put gene therapy, they can okay. put vaccines into it. They can put anything they want into this ball and it, it will be delivered to the body. And I thought, well, let's see how it's made. So in 1960, and then I look at the history, remember, I always go to the history of how did it start. So it started in 1965, it was a simple phospholipid, they'd put medication into it and it would be delivered to um, out, a, a, away from the stomach and into the cells. That's what the idea was. But of course, technology has changed it. It now has a PEG in it, a propylene glycol in it, with ethylene oxide in it. It's disgusting what they've done to it. Wow. Absolutely disgusting. So at the end, I wrote an article on it because I was just blown away by it and I'm only just doing it briefly now. But what what I, I say at the end of the article, I have too many questions around this. Um, we have created this technology and the body is figuring out how to break it down every time. So many, it's called pegylated liposomes, which has got the peg in it. Do you know the human body is now, because there's so many pegs in our life, the human body is now figuring out how to break it down with an immunological response. So it's called an anti-peg antibody, as well as immunoglobulins will attack this, open up that liposome and deliver the drug, the toxin, the gene therapy into the body in the wrong place, or the vitamin or the nutrient. Like not, you know, like I know you can't put them on the same, but I still I struggle with I struggle with this technology. If it's an emergency, by all means, I think liposomal is good. If you have chronic disease, then liposomal therapy is fine, but not on a daily basis. I mean, I'm just so these are the these are the things. But I always go back to history. And was was that in our foods? Was liposomals in our food? Yes, they were, but not with pegs and ligands and all the other things they're putting onto this phospholipid layer. Um, so they, you know, like, um, so I look at food then and I go, well, what's the nutrient that they're throwing in there? Should that be in our cell structure? 
like they're trying to do it. So always um, anthropological principles come into everything that I, I think about because it gives me this guiding light as to what's right and what's wrong. And vitalism, the philosophy of vitalism gives that to me too. Because you can look at science and go, wow, that's cool. And the delivery of a vitamin into the cell, that would be cool. Mm. But how is it delivered? Mm. What are they using? What's the technology? What's it doing to the body holistically as opposed to, oh, well, we can deliver that gene, drug, vaccine. And by the way, this new vaccine is liposomal technology. They're using liposomal technology to get the mRNA into the cell. That's how they do it. Okay. With the peg, with the ligands. Clever. So we're being deceived on so many different levels. So it's no wonder so many people are confused. Yeah. And thanks to you for doing so much research and study because, I, you know, not there wouldn't be many people that would do that when they look at a food or a symptom or where it comes from. So, And because the soil has been so denatured now, we can look at holistic principles and, you know, look to the earth to provide us for the fuel that we need. Um, but the soil is so depleted, right? So you talk about um, regenerative farming, organic do you biodynamic, syntropic, natural sequence? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, what would love to know a little bit more about that because you know we're talking about the food and the liposomal, just all of those things going into that. How do we get away from that? Mm. So what? So what? What is? Yeah, big question. So what has happened is that we've been told that our food isn't good enough to deliver the nutrients that we need in order to be a vitalistic, healthy. Um, incredible human being. So that's the narrative that we're being given. And if you're eating ultra-processed foods and you're eating foods from um, farms that they use glyphosate and they use parquat and they use all of those other things that are out there for pesticides, herbicides and fertilisers and NPK, if you're eating food from those, I, I'd probably agree. You're going to need some sort of supplementation. But the, the supplementation I... I love to see is food-based supplements. But then then why buy your food from these crappy farmers and then buy these beautiful supplements that are food-based supplements that all they are is food, like greens and, um, you know, um, the right foods. Like if, if you're buying Sheridan's product with the liver and the and the beautiful berries, why not just go eat liver and berries, you know? Oh, yes. That's the supplement I want. Are you eating my supplements, which is peak performance, which is all food-based? It's There's no supplement. There's no synthetic supplement in there whatsoever. It's all food-based as well as my colloidal minerals, or you, you're buying my daughter's, that, that healthy co, you know, hers is all berries and collagen, you know, yeah. all from really good, good sources. So if you're buying that, why aren't you eating good food? You, you're spending money on these supplements. Why aren't you just saying, well, these guys are all doing it from great farmers. I'll eat my ultra-processed foods and then I'll go eat this. This just doesn't make sense. And are they going to absorb that, really, if they're still having that those processed foods so there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a wall I mean the body always wants to move towards homeostasis but you know if they're not eating that real food off from supplements it becomes expensive kind of mm. urine doesn't yeah, very it? You very just much piss it out of you <laughs> yeah you don't well, absorb well you don't but at least they're food based so you're mm. going to have a lot better uh, with the food-based ones, you've got all the carbohydrates, proteins and fats that are binding those vitamins as well as other b- vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients and antioxidants and plant-based chemicals that are in there 
that are also helping you absorb that nutrient that you need. And, and, and this is the thing that we've done with, um, I believe, um, th- there's, there's three types of healthcare. There's allopathic. You go to your doctor to get something, to take something away. That's what you do. You have no responsibility whatsoever. And then there's alternative. You go to your naturopath, your nutritionist, or whatever is out there to take something to take to take something away if they're not changing lifestyle. And then there's something called alternate, alternate, innate. The alternative to these two is innate. So you take full responsibility, you change your lifestyle, you do your diet, you don't take supplements in the beginning, you see if the lifestyle works and then Natasha Campbell McBride, who's one of my favourite doctors who, who started GAPS, you know, she says if in three months you change the lifestyle, you change the diet and you are no better, then we look further. We do testing, we look at supplements, we look at ways that we can do this in emergency care. Mm. As, long as, as long as it's not an emergency. If, if, by the way, if I hurt myself, I'm going straight to emergency. If I have a cut that's bleeding so bad, I'm not going to ask nutrition, I'm not going to ask anything. You just fix that cut up, you know, and you just stitch it up. That to me is incredible what they do, mm. you know. Mm. So don't get me wrong, I love no. emergency medicine. It's just that they've taken over everything and that's that's never been their forte their forte is emergency medicine um and you know if if a baby is born and something's wrong they're there you know that's their forte their forte has never been prevention and it's never been about health it's about getting rid of symptoms it's mechanism and both are required vitalism and mechanism both required but we can't take over here and they can't take over this Mm -hmm. so it's got to be on a, on a, you know, like on a, a ruler, I guess, one is there are two extremes and we can meet in the middle and we can go over this side or we can go over this side to, in order to help, you That's, know, the human body mm. and the human. Um, so with taking supplements, they're synthetic. Vitamin C is made from GMO corn um, that then is put into a, a, a fermenting vat um, so it's made from made into glucose that's then put into a fermenting um, vat. Now, is that bacteria genetically modified now? So what they're doing is that it's called synthetic biology. So what they're doing is that they've figured out fermentation using bacteria and genetically modifying them to make our supplements, our food additives, our medicines, our vaccines are all done by bugs, genetically modified bugs. And it's, I, I write about it in my book, Lab to Table, about synthetic biology. So here's a vitamin C that you're taking because you, you're lacking in food or the right foods. But it's, it's from GMO crops that have been sprayed with glyphosate. You're s- destroying the soil. So you're not part of the, um, the, the solution. You're mm. part of the problem. Mm. So th- this is when you start to want to make an impact not only on your own lives, but the life of the planet, the life of your children, your grandchildren. And there, you know, there's these beautiful stages. And when you have, have the understanding and the realisation of the food that you choose impacts the rest of the planet and the rest of the population and that you have all the power in the world in doing this because you are spending your dollar with farmers that are doing the right thing as opposed to the farmers that aren't, 
you're not needing those supplements because you're supporting the people that are producing maybe a supplement that will be perfect for you in whatever stage of life you're in, Mm -hmm. such as the, like I talked about me, I talked about Sheridan and my daughter Tanya. I could talk about a heap. There's heaps out there. You know, Kirsty Worth, they're Mm -hmm. all doing it with food, with all with food. So I just feel... When we get to our age, and I, I don't know where you are in the age group, but... I'm 55. 55. So when we get to here, we do want to make a difference. Mm. And a lot of us feel, um, how can I make a difference? What can I do? This is how you make your difference, is where you spend your money. Because the less money you spend over there, like over with the chemical farmers and the supplement companies and all of that, and the more money you're, you're spending over here and supporting the people that are thinking about the planet, then you're making an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you know, yeah. that's the only way I can that's the only way I do it. You yeah. know? Like I do, I, I open my mouth and I but I can't change anybody. You open it well though. <laughs> You've got lots of amazing information when it comes out. So keep yeah. opening that mouth. Yeah, it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Mm-hmm. And um when you're talking about, you know, those two ends of the scale, it's a real this for that approach. And I think you know, with women that are feeling these symptoms, the, we just want to get out of pain. Like, you know, mm. when you're experiencing that back pain or the, you know, the hip, you're moving around just to get out of it. And I think we reach for that quick fix. But if it just comes from, instead of a, a plant, like a chemical plant, make it come from a plant that's in the soil with beautiful soil. Yeah. Mm. Uh, look, I agree. And if, if you are experiencing the symptoms, you can get rid of them, but you, you're going to have to get rid of fat. That's and what happens is I, I notice the fifties and when they're going through menopause, everybody expands, and this is when you have to really think about what you're eating and how you know because it is a time when I see if you're eating too many carbs for our age group, we don't need the carbs anymore. We needed them as young women. We needed them when we were um, having babies. We needed them when we were breastfeeding. We needed them until our babies get old enough and we start going into where we don't need the carbs anymore. And I, I look at a tribe. I kind of look at it this way and I think, so the people who would have, if there wasn't enough fruit around, probably we wouldn't have taken it because we didn't need it. So I kind of look at it that way. I look at it, no, we need the young people to have it. They're breastfeeding, they're doing that. Let's give them the fruit. And then we might be living on a very ketogenic diet, you know, more so. I still love my carbs. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) When you say carbs, just because people will automatically Um, think with carbs. So, you know, share what carbs are in Cindy's and Kathy's world. Okay. (laughs) So it's, it's, uh, so there's proteins, which are your meats and, you know, your amino acids. There's fats, which we all know what a fat is, butters and lards, um, but not your bit over here. If people are watching this, over on my left side is your agriculture where they're producing canola and soya and all the vegetable oils and the grape seed and all that. That is just crap fat. So over here on my right side, which is my good side, um, we're producing butter, like organic butters or regenerative farm butters or multi-species cropping, you know, butter, Um, ghee, lard, tallow, um, avocado oil that's cold-pressed or olive oil that's cold-pressed. Those ones, even though I'm a little bit still funny with those, I'd much rather my animal fats, but I'll also take those because I put it on my skin, you know, like so I am absorbing it. Um, so they're your proteins and your fats. So there's only three macronutrients. The third macronutrient, which is not essential, the body can survive without it, but it would like it. It does like it because it makes life easier for us, 
is all those plant-based foods. So not so much our nuts and seeds, but our and avocados, but more like mangoes and bananas and oranges and all of those things are our carbohydrates as well as grains, as well as legumes. Mm. So, and breads and crackers and cookies and all of that. But if, when I think of carbs, I think of summer, mangoes, peaches, nectarines, <laughs> cherries, and I love them. I absolutely love them and, mm. and I have banana trees and I have nectarine trees and, and I, do, I do have those fruits when they're around and acerola cherries and... Oh, yeah. I know, they're just all... I just go to the tree and just eat. <laughs> just <laughs> and I think that's really vital in this day and age right mm. now. Mm. We need to start thinking about growing our own and having real food. Mm. You know, we are fortunate. I find that um, up here in the Sunshine Coast, it's a plenty of amazing resources and clean resources, farmers' markets, mm. farmers that aren't using sprays um, or doing their best, you know, or they have organic but they can't certify them. So I think, you know, being able to grow your food is essential. You're on a farm. I've just – we've got um, a small acreage and I'm starting to – um, you know, I've got a few cucumbers and herbs and things, but I'm going to do um, a massive veggie garden. We're still in the process of that. I won't eat my goats, though. I can't even. I couldn't even imagine doing that. But you can drink their milk. <laughs> I can drink their milk. I will put them to a male and um, put them to a buck, and then yes, mm. have some cheese and um, some milk. Tell me about your farm. You have a regenerative, regenerative farming. Mm-hmm. What's different to that? Compared to organic, I don't think mm. we need to go into conventional because conventional farming for our audience is just what Cindy's described with all of those sprays. It's depleting the soil. There is no humus or nutrients in the soil. But in a regenerative farm or organic or biodynamic farming, there's a whole new, like beautiful, like the humus, the actual organisms in the soil that are creating this vitality in the foods that we eat. Um, talk. Can you share with us a little bit about your farm? Yeah. I'd love to have a little. Come up and have a little. Yeah, you can. Case. You can definitely come on up. Um, so I bought it seven years ago, and I watched Jurassic Park grow. <laughs> Just went nuts. It was in the summer, and I went away for a month and came home, and I thought, "Whoa, what have I done with sixty acres? What am I going to do with this?" It was crazy. The growth that happens on the Sunshine Coast. In the summer is incredible. I'm stressing out about two, and you've got sixty. I can't imagine the the grass. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. So, um, I, I, in the beginning, like after that year of just letting it sit, because I didn't know what they'd sprayed on it. I now know because I know the owners, and I have been told what they sprayed on it. I did watch Jurassic Park grow, and I just thought I've got to sell this. I can't do this. And then I met this beautiful lady by the name of Mirag Gamble. She's at Crystal Waters just down the, the gully from me, basically, the valley from me. Um, and she just said, Cindy, these are not weeds. These are, these are primaries. It's telling you your land is sick and that you need to heal it. And what I suggest is you've got three options. You can cut it up and put small-time farmers in there and let them deal with it. You can do something else. I can't remember what a second one, but the third one is get a consultant in that knows how to heal the land. So I ended up um, hiring a consultant for two years and he taught us regenerative farming. So it's uh, based on wild animals being bunched up 
um, in, and we put them in an electric fence and they're bunched up and they poo and they wee and they eat and then you move them very fast and then the chickens come in behind them a couple of days later and they pick out all the parasites, they spread the poo, they're like the tractor. They're like, without going being a tractor, you have your tractors in the chickens. So over the years, what ends up happening is from land that was sick and being sick means has no um, mycelium or very little, no worms, um, it's lost all its ecology, so all the microbes that are in the soil that hold the soil together to help the grass grow and whatever grows um, won't hold water. Um, so all your water runs off. It's, it, it's hard, dry land. So that's where we started. By doing the cattle and the chickens for quite a few years, we were able to increase our organic matter, which increased the ecology of the soil because we weren't spraying glyphosate or Roundup on it or anything on it. We were able to increase the ecology of the soil. Um, we, the water holding capacity of our land is incredible. So in the first two years, you're like going, geez, I'm spending a lot of money doing this and a lot of time doing this. I just seriously, is it really worth it? Can't we just, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. And one winter, we had a really dry winter. And we have a barbed wire fence between our neighbours and us. They have cattle. Um, they don't have chickens, but they have cattle. And I looked down that barbed wire fence. I had green grass this high. It was incredible. It was lush. It was mind-blowing. And they had brown, dry dirt. It was – sorry that I clapped that. <laughs> dry, I could hear it in my <laughs> microphone. Um, they yeah. had dry bone dirt. And I took a photo of it and I went, ah. Now I know what I'm doing because I'm a nutritionist. I'm not a farm. I have no idea. And, um, and th- that was the first few years. And then I, I, I learned enough from this um, beautiful consultant and I let my son then take over from like looking after the farm. So he loves the cattle. He loves the chickens. We planted fruit trees. Um, and then I met this beautiful man named Rob. Um, just at a talk, we were sitting next to each other. He knew who I was, but I didn't know that he knew that. He didn't, didn't catch on. And he kind of turned to me and I said, so Rob, what do you do? You know? And he goes, oh, I'm a syntropic farmer. And I went, what's that? Mm. And this was quite a few years ago. And he told me and I went, would you come up to my land? And I don't mind paying you, but just tell me what I can do with my farm. He hasn't left me. He's just the most amazing syntropic farmer and he's just – he only has to come up one or two times a, a week now um, just to keep this incredible syntropic farming going. So while my son is the expert on the animals and he wants to learn about the animals, he's the expert on the plants and my, hus- my son wants to learn about the plants and my husband is the maintenance boy. He's just there to help everybody. He, you know, he really makes the place look good. Uh, so what we've done is that we've taken – very sick land and in seven years converted it into something that pulses you can watch things grow like my banana trees we've just um done a a complete um mulching um and we've cut everything down that's there for us to mulch so um arrowroot um bananas um Comfrey, all of that's growing and then we just cut it all back and we mulch and you watch in six months it'll be back again it'll be incredible it's like you watch it grow like I'll be up there one Saturday and I'll go back the next Saturday and I went it's growing this much so I now I have lots of fruit trees lots of vegetables um we we just grew a heap of garlic that's drying in the shed at the moment I've got a heap of ginger that we've grown and it's just I like I feel like um 
it's taken me seven years though. It's taken me seven years of what I call mistakes, what Charlie Arnott says to me, they're not mistakes, Cindy. You learnt about your land. You know what works and what doesn't work. And I do. I know exactly what works now. Um, so we do a combination. We do regen farming, um, which is the cell grazing, what I call cell grazing. We do syntropic grows, which is fruit trees, vegetable gardens, garlic, ginger, all grows amongst each other. Uh-huh. So we don't have a patch of ginger over there. Well, we do actually at the moment in amongst the syntropic grows. It's, yeah, no, it, it's in the syntropic grows. But we just... Um, we just have figured this out. Um, my son wants to do more about with natural sequence farming, which is holding more water on your land with swales. We do have some swales, but he's now really learnt how to do it. Um, and the last thing we do is multi-species um, pastures. So instead of our cows having one species to eat, they have a choice of many species to eat. And they are incredible at knowing when they need comfrey or when they need a certain food they know and so we have tick we have tick country we have fly country um, we have three-day illness we have all of these things that are in 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 you know what where we are because it's so wet Um, and we are managing the best we can sometimes we do have to treat and it's usually neem with the ticks um, and then with the flies, um, we had one girl go down with the flies and we had to put a tag in her. Um, but this is, this to me is mechanism. This is, we're going to lose her unless we do something. Mm, so this right. is when the drugs come in yeah. and when we will use them and I'm not, I'm, and I, and it's so funny because my husband said, we need to become organically certified. And I went, well, I'm not sure we can become organically certified when we put, treat one cow like that. I'm not sure. I've never gone through it. But I do know this. I know the quality of, of my foods. I know the quality of everything that's on my ground. I know we've been working on this for seven years. I know we hold water because my and soil. We hold water and soil. So not only have I increased the ecology in my soil – the amount of growth that happens, um, which is the organic matter, the amount of mulching that happens, the amount of soil that stays on my land. There's no erosion on my land because when there's a big rain event, my water runs clean. There's no mud, there's no dirt, there's nothing in it. And when anywhere you want to dig on my ground, you dig it up, there's worms everywhere. Wow, yeah. My husband, my husband is going to love this conversation because <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, what areas of my property is going to is like holding, is dry, and what's holding um, mm-hmm. more moisture? It's kind of boggy. Oh, well, you can so in, you can so organize it so it will do it itself just by using plants and mm. swales and yep. Yeah, I love that the the cows go to what they desire or they just have that innate knowing and I think every animal really does because I think uh, my mentor Paul Check says, you know, a lion would never go to, you know, a, a berry bush or something and a giraffe doesn't go and kill, you know, mm. another, you know, an animal. Mm. They just don't and that's kind of an example of what we've come to be eating. We've just come so far away from nature and what is provided or what can be provided for us on our own land. And if you don't have a, a huge amount of land, you can have a little bit of a veggie garden anyway. I love that, you well, know. Yeah, you don't need a lot of or land. Or even um, vertical, yep. can't you? Yep. You know, yep. 
you just got to make sure you've got all your nutrients and your soil right. Um, we do the Incredible Edible Garden in the Nutrition Academy, and it's about getting your soil right. It, it, you're a soil farmer. That's all you are. You're not a cattle farmer. You're not a syntropic farmer. You're not this. You're a soil farmer. And when your soil is – if you're more, you know, interested in the soil, then everything will look after itself. And you think about the human body. If you're interested in this soil, which is mouth to anus, which is exactly what is feeding you, if that is working right, the rest of the body will work right. You know, you talked about, well, what about, can they absorb those nutrients? Well, when you get your soil right in your land and in here, and they are, you know, they're helping each other all the time. If your soil's not right here, your soil's not going to be right here. Mm. So I just, I see the synchronicities of what I learned in nutrition to what I'm learning um, in farming and I still have a lot to learn like I've done biodynamic courses with Charlie and Hamish McKay Charlie Arnott and Hamish McKay um, we've done natural sequence fa- uh, farming with um, Stuart Anderson um, and his father Peter was um, on the Australia story if anybody wants to watch what he did to save his land with natural sequence farming um, we've done regenerative um, with uh, Alan Savory. So we learnt from Alan Savory, who's the father of, of that cell grazing. Oh, where, who else have we learnt from? Oh, um, RCS. There's just like we go to farming expos, we go to farming matters down in Aubrey Wodonga. We just, we learn, we, oh, we have a farming group here on the Sunshine Coast. So we're called the Organic Farm or the Organic Growers. I think we're the Organic Growers. And even though we're not all organically certified, we all have a passion for the soil and we all go to each other's places every month. We spend an afternoon or a morning with someone and learn something else. It's just incredible. I get excited. (laughs) I had this, I had them come to my place and I'm walking with this older gentleman. I can't remember his name, but I'm because there's so many of them, it's just, they are so intelligent. And I'm walking with him, and I go, oh, look at my cobbler's peg, you know, we won't spray, and I don't know what, he said, that cobbler's peg, you know what it's doing? It's got a yellow flower, it's bringing sulphur up. You need sulphur, so it's just bringing your sulphur up. It'll go when it, the sulphur's up. Right. I said, well, what about the thistle? She, oh, that's sharp, that's silica. And then um, there, was a, uh, there was a purple one, I think it's purple top, which is medicinal, but it's still known, classified as a weed. And he goes, purple, that's bringing your copper up, you know, and your red's bringing your iron up. And I just, all of a sudden I went, ah, okay, I don't have a problem with them anymore. And we pull them out. And we pull them out. And they keep coming back. And there's a reason they keep coming back. And it's funny. They're trying to do this, their job. They've just got to do their job. And then everything else grows. Like, and, you, and I've watched this for the last two years. We've had the cobbler's peg. But what I'm seeing is as the soil is improving, the cobbler's peg only goes to where there's a bit of rockery or bare land. It goes there to do what it needs to do and then it disappears, it's, even though it's got thousands of little seeds. <laughs> is, what's the, oh, well, I might do that offline because I could just seriously, I could ask you so many questions <laughs> and go down the farming now because mm. that's inspiring to me because you um, – you feed your family, right? You, I think I read that you, uh, your farm now provides enough food for you to feed six families. Was that right? Or six people in a family? Um, well, no, we don't completely feed our family. Number one. Not yet. Is I can't kill my cows. Right. I understand. I can't, you I can't understand. kill your goats. I can't kill my cows. So the farmer across the way, I don't know his cows. He's got Angus. <laughs> Just... 
They don't have any name or no names that you know. No names that I know. Stuart Andrews. He gives me the chickens, the lambs. So I go to other farm. Look, I know this sounds really ridiculous, but I love my girls. <laughs> so I go to other farmers that I trust to oh, give, yeah. give me that. As far as plants go, I can feed a lot of people with plants. Yeah. But as far as my – and eggs. Eggs, I can feed everybody with eggs. I don't have any problem with taking those eggs from those girls. They, you know, they have a good life. <laughs> so I take the eggs from the girls. Um, I don't have any dairy, so, you know, I have thought – I've said to Brogan, do you think you could just milk Alice? <laughs> Alice, Alice is one of the girls. Um, he goes, I'm not going anywhere near you. You can try. <laughs> should kick out at us. <laughs> but so then I'll buy dairy from somebody else. So you should see my sunflowers. I probably have a thousand sunflowers sitting in my garden at the moment. So I could sell that to a florist that could then I could get cash for that and then go and buy somewhere else. I do give food to grub, grub, and so then I do a barter system with them. Um, so I may have way too many limes for my family, so I'll do a barter system with them. So to say that I can feed my whole family right now, I can't. Mm. I could, but um, I probably have to be pushed into that situation before I would, would do that, and, and that, that may come. Yeah, so my mm. point was, yeah, you're, c- mm. you're kind of getting to that stage yes. where you will be able to, you know, feed your grandbabies mm-hmm. um, and to have an awesome community. Um, I have a farmer down the road that I can go and pick up beef, um, biodynamic beef. And I think if you just do the res- research mm. and resources and you, you do have these resources and there is an amazing community wherever you are, I think you just have to reach out and um, ask people. So if you've got a... a you know, you do the bartering system, I think you're helping not only you, as you said, it filters mm. out to the collective. You're all sharing and making this place, a, you know, a better place. Yeah. And, and I think the Sunshine Coast has a, a really good um, connection with the farmers, like our markets. And, like, I'm sorry for people listening who may not have these great markets, but I've been here 30 years, 32 years, and to see the passion of, in the last decade, these young men and women farmers, I just, you know, I want to support them. Mm. You know, I want to be part of, I do buy from them. What I don't grow, mm. I buy from them. And then I give them what I grow too much of. So I had lettuces coming out my ears before the rains came. So I gave them to a couple of stores, you know, and I had broccoli, more broccoli than you'll ever done. Cabbages, I made a heap of sauerkraut. <laughs> so, like, I do have... Uh, too much harvest sometimes and you have to you know my family going I don't want another cabbage mum <laughs> okay we don't need any more garlic mum <laughs> but I think I oh, was just so so inspiring so inspiring mm. if it was the other way they'd be complaining though <laughs> probably if there wasn't anything yeah. ava- available so inspiring mm. I could talk to you for so long I know that you've probably got a busy day ahead of you um for our listener what, in your opinion, is a rejuvenated woman? Cindy, I'm sitting in front of a rejuvenated <laughs> woman because I just love everything that you bring and everything that you're about and thank you so much for doing your part. You. What is a rejuvenated woman to you? Um, I feel like I went into my 60s far better than I went into my 50s. And I have to say that 
It was about figuring out what was right for me as I moved on to my next phase of life. Uh, I love educating myself, so food was a really big part of that. I also started um, breath work, so I really, really got into that because with the you know, the beginning of 2020 and the pandemic starting, I started to get anxiety. Now, I shouldn't have had a gut that gives me anxiety. So, because I've got a pretty healthy microbiome in there, I feed it well. So, my soil was okay, but there was a stress, an outer stress that I had to either cope with or get rid of. And I learned how to cope with it. So, I started doing that breath work. It's about doing routines. It's about having habits. You cannot get up in the morning, go on your social media, um, get up and not get outside and be part of life. You can't listen to news. You've got to turn the radio off, stop reading the newspaper, stop watching television and whatever it is. As a rejuvenated woman, to me, if you don't watch that, you don't know what's happening in the world. You just see these people with masks and you go, what? Do we have to wear masks again? Are you serious? You know, I have no idea what is happening. I don't know that there's a new variety out there or until someone makes a comment to me because I'm not watching or listening to any mainstream media. So to me, that's, that's hard for people because they're addicted to that. So turn that off, do your breath work. Learn meditation. Like I've started um, TM. I don't do it every day, transcendental meditation. Um, and I learned from, I should know his name, Tom Cronin. Awesome. <laughs> Tom would be so upset yeah. with me if I didn't. I just, all of a sudden I went, oh, I like had a blank. Yeah. Yeah. Like so learn from Tom Cronin. He's an Australian. He's doing a great job. Joe Dispenza is brilliant. I've done all of his workshops. Uh, just like, have an excitement about life, you know, just – See life as this incredible thing that doesn't happen to you, you create. Because a lot of people think it's happening to me. No, I'm creating it. Have grandbabies. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. They're just the best. Oh, I that just, lights you up. Oh, Look at you light up. I could cry over my grandbabies. I just oh. – um, I got two and I've spent the whole weekend with them and it's just – um. I don't know what it is about them. You're going to make me cry oh. now because I can't wait. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to be waiting for a little bit more um, though, I think. But I just play with them. Yeah. I don't have to feed them. I don't have to <sighs> do anything. I just sit them here with me. I sing songs to them. We go I, – I took um, one of them, the little Sage. She's older than my little Koa who's just a little boy. He's 16 weeks and Sage is nearly nine months. So I took her to the beach um, – much to the disgust of her mother when I got her board, brought her home. Not bad. No, no, no. <laughs> Sandy. Oh. <laughs> In every crevice. Every, I was going to say every orifice. Yes. Yes, she was Sandy. Anyway, I sat her down with me and I picked up some pumice and I picked up some um, some cuttlefish and some seaweed and some shells and I just discussed them with her. That's all I did. And then she wanted to touch it and then there was sand here or there <laughs> You go, darling. She's home. Thanks, mum. <laughs> Thanks, mum. Uh, and she comes out, like she comes out of the shower and I went, did you get it all out? She goes, barely, mum. And then I wanted to take her yesterday. It was the day before the Saturday and I wanted to take her yesterday to the beach. She goes, no, mum, you're not taking her to the beach. <laughs> That's oh, funny. This is grand. So, Liv, mm. meet your life, greet life with excitement mm-hmm. because this time of our lives isn't a time that we need to dread 
I'm always talking no. about being a wise woman. We step into these wise women years and because we have so much to impart. So I love that. Step mm. into this part of our lives with excitement. Yep, yes. definitely. And, but you have to look after yourself. You know, take responsibility. Take responsibility. Don't expect your doctor or your uh-huh. naturopath or your nutritionist. You you can get the info. You can get the info from this, but you have to figure it out for yourself. What works for you? Is it breath work? Is it meditation? Is it watching the sunrise? Watching the sunset? Is it um, eating good foods? Is it growing foods? Like, there's so many options out there. But try, just try them. Just try them. See and what works, and become addicted. You know, just become addicted to what you're doing, the good stuff, you know, and become addicted to those two glasses of water that you might drink in the morning that you've started as a habit um, to get, you know, I call that break, break fast. You're breaking that fast that you haven't had a, anything to eat or drink since maybe six o'clock the night before. Um, get addicted to getting on your bike. This is my addiction, by the way. <laughs> I'm just giving you my addiction. Two glasses of water in the morning, and then usually everything wants to empty out, so that's good. Um, so you've cleaned out, you've you've put in some clean water. Then the next step is I get on my bike, um, dark. It's always the same time, about five o'clock, depending on summer or winter. I have my togs in my bag, I have my breathing gear in my bag, and I meet, meet a bunch of friends, um, and we that's when we do coffee, by the way. We do have coffee in the morning. And then we go do breath work by 5.30. We swim at 6.30. I'm home by 7.30. Um, get dressed, go to work if that's what I'm doing, go to the farm if that's what I'm doing. Um, and then my day is just filled with fun things, as, you know, things that I want to do, things that I love doing, writing, researching, farming, whatever it is that I've got to do. Um, then I get home. My husband and I, we have a whiskey at five, so we go out onto the to the deck and we sit there and um, he drinks wine, by the way, I drink whiskey. <laughs> so we, we sit there and have our dinner, you know, one of us will have started dinner. Um, we've gone into a little bit of a bad habit of watching a television show at the moment, which is on Netflix. Um, but anyway, I said to him, we've got to stop this. But anyway, we do an hour of that every, every night. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of nice. We just sit there and it's, um, because we love Jackson Hole and we love Yellowstone. It's Yellowstone we're watching. I've heard it's good anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're watching that at the moment. Um, so we'll, we'll sit down and do that for about an hour. We're in bed by 8.30. Both of us are ready for bed by 8.30. It's a full day. It's a full day. It and a full, is beautiful, full. Mm. full of life day. Yep. yep. It's living by your design on how what you want to live, not how someone has told you you should live. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And I, th- and I think, you know, we have to do this at our age. Don't be doing something you don't like. No, start saying no yeah. to the things that you don't want to do and start saying yes to the things that really, yeah, that you want to do and yeah. that you haven't given yourself time to do yeah and find that tribe and and you know nurture your family and whatever it is that you need to do it's like there's millions of things we can do you've just got to pick the right things and not the things that are going to give you ill health so you have a choice every morning you wake up you have that choice every time you eat food you have a choice of whether you're going to give yourself health or you're going to destroy it you have the choices and um, and I, I know when people want to change their life, they'll either find the actions to try, change it or they'll find the excuses. Yes. So they'll find one or the other. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it's a lot of the latter. Well, what I see anyway, but... Oh, 
Wow. Thank you so much, Thank Sudhi, you. I've enjoyed this too. Really, really. <laughs> I've loved, yeah, just this is, yeah, kind of really can get into yeah, this couch. Yeah, you can. <laughs> Um, listen, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode and any of our other podcast episodes, I'd love you to leave a five-star review. I think Cindy's definitely five-star plus. Thank you. Um, and, yes, please uh, share that with your friends. Share the link to this podcast and any other podcast episodes to your friends and family. And thank you again for tuning in. And I will come in again next week. 